Welcome, and thank you for tuning in to the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. I was reading an article this week on common worries among children, and here are the few things it listed. Doing homework, being late for school, changing schools, not getting good grades, health problems or becoming sick, how they compare and measure up to others, being left out of a group, not getting along with teachers, not being good enough at sports, personal harm from other children, family, or others, separation from the family. And then some, as they get a little older, worry about war, money, disasters, and dying. And they certainly take cues from their parents. And you adults here know that we don't worry about all the exact same things kids worry about in the exact same ways, but we worry. And can we as parents just let the kids know here, hey, we understand worry. Which parent here understands worry with me? Which grandparent, which adult here understands worry? It's part of life. And how we approach things and how we think about them matters a lot. And for us adults, especially those that are taking care of others financially, trying to make decisions about financial futures, we've had worry. We've sometimes had intense anxiety about the resources that we have or that we lack in our life. And we've been in this three-week series called Thrive. Our key verse is those who trust in their riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. That's Proverbs 11, 28. And we are trying to orient our lives away from just pursuing riches to pursuing righteousness so that we can thrive like a green leaf. Part one was two weeks ago. It was called Learn Contentment. You can go back on our website and listen to that if you missed it or on our, our, our podcast or via video. Last week was called Think Differently. And today is the final part of it. We're gonna conclude it. It's called Trust God Completely. My oldest daughter is 12, the one that we wrote that song when my wife was pregnant with her. And actually we recorded that song, Hello Baby. And the beginning of it on the CD we released it on has Novi's heartbeat when she was still in the womb. It's really cool. It's a special family memory for us. And November, my oldest gave me permission to share this. And for a number of years now, probably three or four years, she started dealing with anxiety at bedtime. And she would come to myself or Jessica and say, I just, I can't stop thinking about this problem at school. I can't stop thinking about this relationship. I can't stop thinking about this grade. I can't stop thinking about this fight with them. Whatever it was, like all of us fall into sometimes. And she would say, I can't sleep. My mind is going crazy. By show of hands, who can relate to that? You're not alone, my sweet daughter. That happens to the best of us. And it can be really hard to sleep. And one of the things we've done with Novi for years and years now is try to sit and memorize scripture and try to allow yourself to settle in and rest in to trusting God as you go to sleep. Because there is this reality that the more you trust God, usually the better you sleep. That's not to bring any kind of guilt or condemnation on those that struggle deeply with sleeping. That's not what I intend at all. But when it comes to, in general, our well-being and our sense of settledness, the more we trust God, the better we can sleep, the more settled we could be. And the scriptures that Novi quotes to herself every night, and we pray through it, we talk about it, literally almost every night she goes to sleep, is, the Lord is my shepherd. And then particularly the line, he makes me lie down by still waters. And there's something about thinking of those still waters as Novi and I pray together that just allows us to be still in our own soul. 
And then another thing, she always reminds herself, and I do the same thing. She says, I am the beloved daughter of God. And I remind myself, I am the beloved son of God. And all these things gradually, they're like preaching to your own soul and they allow you to settle into trust. And we're gonna close this series with a short message today on how we trust God with our finances. How do we know if we're trusting God with our finances? What would that practically look like in our lives? And there's this, ver- this not verse, this quote that we used last week from John Wesley. He said, having first gained all you can, and secondly, saved all you can, then give all you can. And last Sunday, I talked about how it's good for followers of Jesus, once you've realized your life is not about actually pursuing riches as your hope or your security, it's good to learn how to gain money. We should learn how to generate income. It is a part of life. But the trick is never gaining at the expense of your own soul or at the expense of others. You can listen to that message if you want. Then learn to save all you can. Not necessarily meaning just fill your bank account, but learn to not spend frivolously. Save by not overspending. That's like the contentment piece. The more you can just be content, the more you realize, wow, I make more money than I realize because I don't have to be spending as much as I'm spending. And then today we're gonna talk about what it means to give all you can. Those first two, gaining and saving, are null and void without giving all you can. And when it comes to giving, there are really two key components, obedience and generosity. And the, first, the second principle in your notes is that there's a difference between obedience and generosity. We're gonna look at both of those things and we're gonna look about how they relate to trusting God. And it starts with this in number three. You know that you trust God when you begin to obey God. And again, kids, it's kind of like you learn to trust your parents more, and as you do, you listen more to what they say. For instance, I've given my kids at times a whole pack of M&Ms, and I've told that little four or five-year-old, if you eat that in 30 seconds, which is possible, you will have a stomachache. Trust me. And they may just go, whoa, down it. Lo and behold, they're gonna come find me in a little bit and be like, my stomach hurts. And that's a confusing thing for a kid. How could M&Ms lead to a stomachache? And I say, well, it's because you ate them way too fast. There's nothing wrong with a good M&M here and there, but you shouldn't eat it in 30 seconds. And their stomachache, that experience they gained, will cause them to learn to trust me, their father, more, which will lead to more obedience the next time around. Are you tracking with me? So hopefully the next time they're faced with the, the, the choice, because we don't really want to control our kids. We're going to teach them to make good choices. We, controlling our kids is a complete illusion. We can't control them, but what we can do is try to equip them to make choices. And the next time they have a choice to eat a whole bag of M&Ms really fast, or maybe a third of a bag of M&Ms and just enjoy it as you go, hopefully they'll make a better decision because they've learned to trust the voice of their father better. So it is with us, us in our life. We have a way we would like to go about things with our finances. We have our own desires. We have the own, our things that we want. We have ways that we think are best. We don't wanna do it necessarily God's way, but eventually, the more we experience the fallout from not trusting him, the more we will bring our lives into obedience. Of course, it can be much more serious than candy with kids. It can be like, if I'm taking all four of my kids to the store by myself, when we get out of the car, I'm gonna tell them, do not leave the side of the car till we're all ready to go as a family unit. And I, we've had more than one time where someone steps out a little bit to peer into the parking lot and a huge truck goes by and they realize well, real quick, the stakes are high when it comes to listening to dad's voice. They don't understand that a car could hit them right there and things could be over quick. The more they trust my voice, the more they will obey 
what I am saying to him. And it's just a simple principle. As your trust in God grows, your obedience will grow. And my prayer for all of us, myself included, in general, but specifically with this series, is that this series about thriving financially is that we will learn to trust him even more and that will be shown up in our obedience. The key verse we're looking at is Proverbs 3, 9 through 10 in regards to giving when it comes to obedience. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. And in the whole Old Testament, there's this idea, whether it's farmers or whatever they are doing, of bringing 10%, everything you make, all of your increase, bringing it into the storehouse. And then the New Testament, where we learn about Jesus and the full revelation of God, it's the age of grace. I believe, though, Jesus affirms the sense of bringing that 10%, what we would call a tithe, and he actually ups the ante with generosity, which we're gonna talk about in a minute. But first, let's just look at this simple idea of tithing, which let me give a caveat right now. People have been burned by church leaders talking about money, and I understand that because lots of ministers or pastors or evangelists, you name it, have taken advantage of people and manipulated them spiritually to gain money for themselves. And I just wanna say, we are not trying to gain money from you for Graceland Church. If Graceland Church is your home church, I am gonna encourage you to tithe. If you're not at a place where you're ready to trust us yet, tithe somewhere else. I want these principles for you and your discipleship, not to coat the pockets of Graceland Church. My salary is set. This has nothing to do with what I make. We want to disarm every possible argument that would make you think we were in this for some wrong reason. Our whole heart here is that you and your family, your loved ones, would learn to thrive financially according to the principles of scripture. You guys tracking with me on that? So I'm gonna speak boldly about it, but I want you to understand the heart from which we are coming. That being said, I believe it is part of God's command to us to bring 10% of what we make into this storehouse. Let's look at a few of those words. When it talks about the word wealth, honor the Lord with your wealth, possessions, substance, everything we have. When it says, with the first fruits of all your crops, there's this sense that we read about in Malachi 3.10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, and it's the first tenth that you make, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, God says, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room for it. When it says the first fruits of all your crops, I take that to mean all your increase, any income, produce, grain, or revenue. I, Christian businessmen, I always encourage them, tithe is a business. We, we tithe and do a lot more than a tithe as a church to missions. And so we have a lot of money that comes into our general income, a lot more than 10% that goes right through us immediately and to other things. There's something about this biblical principle that matters for us. I remember when Jess and I got married, we, we just celebrated a few months ago, 14 years. And on our wedding day, one of the cool things about a wedding day, if you do a larger wedding, is you make money. Anybody with me? People give you gifts. And I remember on our wedding night, one of the things we did was we sat on the bed in this room and counted all the money that we got. Anybody else do that? Yeah, this might be TMI, but can we just be honest? We counted our money. And it was a good chunk of change. I'm not gonna tell you how much, but we were immediately faced with the situation, do we tithe? on this gift money, <clears throat> because we were thinking, what does the Bible really say about gifts? Do you tithe on that? Is it income? And we just kind of quickly landed on, let's just tithe. We just, we wanna honor the Lord. Forget about what God commands. Forget about red tape. We love the Lord. He has blessed us. 
let's tithe on it. And it was a good chunk of money that we really could have used to replace the roof on our house at the time. We owned this cute little house in Pennsylvania and uh, we needed to replace the roof. And I don't remember all the exact details of this, but we chose to tithe. And then the roof got funded in pretty miraculous ways from funding we did not know was coming our way. And the roof was significantly more than that tithe. I'm just saying God has a way of taking care of us in really profound and miraculous ways, especially when we honor him with all of our crops. That would be my encouragement to you. I'm not gonna check up with you on this. This is just what my wife and I do and and what I believe about scripture. When he uses the word barns in Hebrew, it simply just means storehouses. And scripture talks about bring all the tithes into the storehouse and he will command a blessing on you and your storehouse. And by the way, none of this is meant to get us tied up in like the legality of it. It's not condemnation. It's not this, it is a joy when we love the Lord to give the Lord as much as we can. You guys tracking with me on this? Like we wanna shift our mindset here. If right now you're thinking, I'm just angry that this pastor is trying to tell me this. I'm frustrated about this. I don't wanna release this. It's just, your heart is in the wrong place. It's more about the heart of it. I'm not trying to tell you to do anything. I'm presenting biblical counsel to you It is between you and the Lord, what you do. And we're gonna frame this up importantly with the second part of this in a moment when we talk about generosity. The word filled in this scripture is the Hebrew word mala, which talks about to flow into a fill, meaning resources will flow into the storehouse. The second is to draw. It's, it still means you can draw a resource, God drawing it like a magnet to the storehouse. The third is to replenish when emptied. So when emptied out, there's this sense of it being restored and added to you even more. How many have experienced that? Like you really, it's, it's kind of cliche, but you cannot outgive God. We've experienced that over and over in our life and living open-handed with resources is such a gift. And then it says your vats will brim over. Let me get your attention on this because this, this part is so crazy. It is actually impossible for a vat to brim over. It's talking about making wine. So imagine putting grapes into a vat or just think of like a big basin. And then they would have to oftentimes get on top of the grapes and stomp them with their feet to to form this grape juice. Well, it's impossible for the juice to come higher than the grapes did because the juice is coming from the amount of grapes that were put in there. But this is pointing us to this sense that there will be supernatural blessing in your life that will cause vats to overflow with wine. So in a... And I'm telling you, Jess and I have had times, many times in our life where we're looking at how we have tried to balance things financially and we're like, where did that money come from? How in the world did we get through that? How did God take care of this? Where did this margin come from? Anybody else with me that have followed Jesus for a while? That's the vats overflowing. It is a miracle. And this is cliche, but I'm just gonna say it. This is like pastoral cliche line, 101 for a sermon on giving, but I believe it's true. God can do more with the 90% that, it, that he's commanding a blessing on than we can do with the 100%, fighting, not, not giving. Are you tracking with me? But then don't just stop here because actually in the new covenant, Jesus ups the ante on this. He says, yes, bring the tithe, but don't forget about justice. Don't forget about compassion. Don't forget about generosity. Jesus actually says it's about your heart and God owns all of it. Everything is the Lord's. Some people say Jesus does away with, with completely with the idea of tithing. I think he affirms it and says, nope, it's 100%. Not that you give 100% to the church, but that the way we think of what we have is not that it's ours. 
It's that it's the Lord's. This is all given to me by God, and I'm gonna hold it lightly and loosely. That's even how we approach our children. We, of course, take ownership of our children. We care for them and love them, but they belong to the Lord more than they even belong to us. We are stewards of the good gifts of God. So number five is, as your trust grows, so does your generosity. And the last scripture we're gonna look at before we close today is 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. A bit of context before you put it up there, Daniel. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to a young pastor named Timothy on how to teach people who are rich what to do with their finances. And before you check out and think you're not rich, if you think globally about wealth, and if you think historically about wealth, 99.9% of the people in this room are rich. We have vehicles, we have extra food, we have homes, and this is not to make us feel bad, but our homes are bigger than we need. We have extra clothes. We have an abundance. So when you hear scripture say, to the rich, don't think of yourself outside of that category. Let's read this scripture now as being directly to us. First Timothy six seventeen. command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. So we're commanded to generosity there. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Who here wants to be with me and take hold of the life that is truly life? That's what I want. And these are given to us as warnings and cautions and things to obey so that we don't end up worshiping money. So we don't end up worshiping possessions, putting all of our hope in this, but having our hope in God. And Jesus was quoted in Acts 20 as saying, it is more blessed to give than to receive. My, my son, Clay, he's obsessed with Hot Wheel cars right now. And the other day he came home and my, my daughters can attest to this, this is a couple weeks ago, and he was so excited, and so were the girls, and it was the first gift my son Clay ever got from me, his dad. I've given him lots of gifts, starting with life. I had a small part to play in that. Lot, that no laughs, sorry. Lots of Hot Wheel cars, but he came home very excited getting me my first gift ever. He picked this out for me. I don't know if he used his own money or not, but he got me this really sweet car with green tinted windows, and he gave it to me, and he was so excited to give this to me, his father. And it's interesting. I've given him so many Hot Wheels, so many Hot Wheel structures to play with, yet it seems the more I give him, the more he wants. Anybody know what I'm talking about? He doesn't get more content by me giving him more. Any amens out there? But something about the joy that this little three-year-old had in giving me the first gift he's ever giving me has given us more joy than almost anything I've given him because he always wants to play with me and he always wants me to use the car that he gave me because it is more blessed to give than to receive. He's getting that even as a little tiny three-year-old. And think of it with our heavenly father. It's like, we might be thinking right now, I wish God would give me so much more. He's probably thinking, everything I've given you so far hasn't caused you to be content. Do you think more is gonna make you content? And he's probably thinking, learn the greater blessedness, the greater happiness of it is more wonderful to give than to receive. You can give gifts to your heavenly father, your life, your worship, your heart, your trust. That's a gift. 
You can live generously and give gifts to others. And we wanna just completely flip upside down how we live, really practically before we close. My encouragement on an entirely practical level would be this, tithe 10% of everything you make, but see it as a starting point. Try to increase that percentage every year. That's what my wife and I do, if you can. Save 10% if possible, and then live off 80. And then if, if God keeps blessing you and you can incrementally make more, rather than just buying a ton of more stuff, start tithing 15%. Give to, we, have, we support missionaries here. Give to missions on a monthly basis. Keep saving 10%, maybe save a little more, and then live off 75% or live off 70%. Don't just keep expanding your possessions and expanding everything you have to pay for because you keep making more. The father of Jesus, and not to say nice things are bad. Again, this is not like some kind of weird law. He gives us good things for our enjoyment. But let me just encourage you, if you can live this way, I believe, and pursue righteousness as you do it, you'll step more into the life of thriving like a green leaf with finances. Um, Let's close our eyes, let's bow our hearts, and let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us. Uh, We thank you that you show us the way to live. And uh, I just pray for any of us here that, and I know there's people here, myself included, that sometimes are just anxious about money, just worried, just don't know what to do. We lay it at your feet this morning, Lord. And we just declare, we wanna trust you. We wanna go your way. So whatever that obedience looks like, God, Make that known to us. Help us to step into it now by faith and trust. Whatever generosity looks like, give us the mindset of generosity, Lord, so that we can care for others, so we can know the joy of giving that is greater than receiving. And may we be a church that is marked with obedience and generosity in how we handle the resources that you entrust to us. And I pray your incredible blessing on every person here, that you'll provide everything they need, that you'll give them wisdom, on how to gain and save and give. And Lord, that we will thrive, that they will thrive like green leaves and that that will be the legacy that they pass on to loved ones, to siblings, to parents, to kids, to grandkids. We wanna demonstrate to those around us that your way is the way that works and you have called us into a life of rest and peace, not the rat race where we always think we need more, not the rat race where we're competing with others, not the comparison that permeates our culture, but a sense of contentment, a sense of thinking differently, and a sense of total and complete trust. In Jesus' name we pray. Church, can we just stand together? We're just gonna close with this simple chorus. I'm gonna pray a benediction over us. Jess, can you hand me my last page there? It has my benediction on it. <laughs> we'll be dismissed after I pray this benediction. Thank you, sweetheart. Uh, kids, thank you again for leading us in worship today. That was just awesome. We love you. Next week, we'll be back to our normal schedule and all kinds of fun things coming up. Let me pray this benediction. Go with confidence into the days ahead trusting in God's unfailing love and faithfulness. God will not abandon you, for you are the work of his hands, his own creation, and his love endures forever. So go in joy to love and serve the Lord. In Christ's name we pray, amen. And as the kids all say, yes. Yes.